I remember reading this meme that said, you're exactly what your ancestors have prayed for, to be the one to break the cycles. There were people who just didn't know how. They really didn't know how. Right. And there was some of us that were born with fire in us to be like, "Mm -mm, this has got to change. I'm rewriting our future. Yes. I am determined to not let this go on like Mm -hmm. this and to learn the healthier ways. Hello and welcome to the Healing and Dealing Podcast. I am your host, Charlotte, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Through a trauma-informed lens, we will navigate healing through conversation and connection while learning tools to embody our transformation and make lasting changes in our lives. We will cover relatable topics and discuss various modalities to put into action and ignite change. This podcast will have incredible guests who will share their story and provide proof that even in the darkest times, there is light waiting for us. If you landed here, it's for a reason. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Healing and Dealing. Today, I'm so happy and feel so much joy introducing Nicole. She's 39 years old. She was born and raised in Southern California. Today, she's a wife, a stay-at-home mom of two girls who are six and eight. She does distance learning through school, and her family has 17 animals on a small five-acre ranchette in northern Nevada. Nicole is a survivor of mental and physical childhood abuse, domestic violence that almost ended her life, and the Santana High School shooting. She is a transparent person who has been working to heal so that she can take others with her. She has struggled with PTSD, anxiety, depression, OCD, and insomnia. She was diagnosed with postpartum depression after her first daughter, and that sparked her deep dive into therapy and facing her trauma. Since the age of 31, she's been digging, learning, and listening deeply to overcome her trauma. God has been her lead and the only way she's been able to overcome these things she has encountered. Hi, Nicole. Welcome. Hi. Oh, so happy to have you. Of course. I mean, we've been social media friends for years, right? And I've I've followed your journey and I've seen you healing and I've all the things you post, you're just so raw and real and transparent. And I just, I so appreciate that. I've always loved it and felt a connection to you, even though we're states away from each other. And it's just an honor to have you share your story with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so, I want to say on this first and foremost, that I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so extremely proud of you. I'm proud of your saying no to other things. I've been saying this a lot. Your your no's are actually a yes. They're a yes to you, and they're a yes to empower the next person. And the things that probably in this process were hard, you accomplished to say no to these other things because you knew you wanted to take something, to do something better for yourself and other people. And... I'm so proud of you for doing it. I'm so proud of you for doing this. And I'm so empowered seeing you do this and going forward. This is absolutely amazing. And I hope most more people will jump into it to kind of see your healing journey, talking about it, being transparent about it and following in line with that because it'll heal the next person. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I received that. I'm working on receiving. I appreciate 
your support more than you know. It's it's like gold to me right now. People that believe in me and support me, there, there's nothing better because this this is solely to help other people. And that's my mission is to share my voice and the voices of others to help heal and guide people on their own journeys. So let's get started with yours. I, yes, I cannot yes. wait. I feel like we have so much to dig into. I really want the listeners to you know, know your story and your trauma and, and wherever you want to start, you can just go for it. So this is, I've done lives on Facebook so many times you've watched those, but this is my very first time like podcast something much bigger. And so telling my story is one of my therapists that said, sometimes you have to tell your story over and over again, because you take the power out of the trauma and you empower yourself again. And the more you hear yourself say it, telling my story and being transparent about it has been very big for me because I know that I, I continue to choose to empower myself. And that's why going into this, I want everybody to know that I don't look at my family members or anything to this day as bad. I love them deeply. Mm -hmm. So, so, so big. And the forgiveness that I have in my heart is really for the peace of myself and understanding their journey is different than mine. But I did grow up with, you know, my mom, her choice in partners, the child abuse, the visual abuse that I saw my mom take. If we start from just mm. some of the most like huge things that I actually remember, right. like I can visually see my dad beating my mom. My dad kidnapped us when we were little. We actually ended up on the front page of the news because he took us to Texas and we were gone for like two weeks. There's such like clear memories of, of things just from that, that I actually remember to this day. How old um, were you? I was three and my, my sister was eight months old when he kidnapped oh us. Oh my gosh. Wow. And my mom during that time had met my stepdad at the place that she worked. Mm -hmm. And my stepdad, I think he had ties with the police department and they went on a search for us. Whole family was hiding it's because things my dad, my real dad was saying, but this is where this, my stepdad came in. And so when they got us back, we came right into the picture with my stepfather. And that is the majority of my childhood abuse. He took over, told my mom she couldn't make decisions raising kids, so he needed to do it for her. And went from there with discipline. Discipline <clears throat> to him. My dad did time in prison, Texas prison, for a murder. When he was 19, 18, 19 years old, Your he got out on good behavior. Yeah, my okay. stepdad. It was technically like a self-defense amongst gangs. You mm -hmm. know, he lived that life because it was kind of a self-defense, but he also fled scene. It was kind of just a whole mess. But his time in prison was actually short based on good behavior and what the circumstance okay. was. But the mental abuse started from there. He brought in this kind of boot camp prison mentality. Me and my sister used to get handcuffed to each other what? as punishment. Wow. Um, we'd get handcuffed ankle, ankle for days, and that was punishment. Nicole. And our like real handcuffs, black and blue ankles. We would have to stand in the corner all day long together, walk together. If one pulled the wrong way, you're gonna feel it. Things like that as a child was made like it was supposed to be normal so you mm -hmm. grow up with these things thinking they're normal right. in his way of discipline um i remember going to school and my mom asking one of my teachers for makeup to cover the bruises on me 
And the teacher just like, oh, well, she fell and I just don't want anybody. My mom worked for the school. So oh. she just wanted anybody to ask questions. And I would have bruising from being drugged around by my throat, being grabbed by my collarbones, feeling like they were going to snap, bruising in my chest from being hit so hard with my dad's finger and grew up just where this was normalized. He, you know, just his idea of discipline, being young, the, the prison mentality did not leave him. And so I remember very vividly sitting on the bar counter and my dad coming up and grabbing me, ripping me off the chair by the back of my head, ripped me by my hair. I was probably about in like first grade. He's like, why didn't you see me coming? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just didn't mm, see you coming. Gosh. So it's complete present mentality. Mm. 100%. You always got to watch your back and you can't trust people. And little did I know it was him who I couldn't trust. Mm. So that kind of mindset and, and, what he made me think discipline was all started at a very young age and being conditioned in this very violent environment where I thought I had to fight people and I thought I had to be aggressive with people right. because that's how he was. And so um, we go from there, just watching the years of, of mental abuse to my mother. Um, only a few times he had pushed her, but us kids, it was just constantly something hangers, remotes bashed over my head anything that could be thrown at me. He had a weight belt with holes drilled in it and he'd use a spray bottle and that was bare ass. Oh my um, gosh. Nicole, I just want to say one thing really fast. Like, I just want to send you so much love right now and that little girl who went through that. I, I don't want to say sorry that you went through that no. because, no. you know, you've, you've overcome so much. I just, I want to give yeah. that little Nicole lots of love right now and just... I, I just appreciate you sharing all of that because that I can't even imagine. And I can't wait to hear how you've been getting through this. How do you overcome that? I receive that? your love with that because I've had to hug that little girl so many times. Right. And tell that little girl that's inside of me, like, you never deserved that. Mm -mm. That wasn't you. That wasn't a you thing. That was very much a him thing. And so, you know, growing from that, hiding it from the school, the public eye, and then falling in line with this idea of acting perfect because we would go to church and, oh, I was a straight A student and my dad was so proud of me. But then we got home and I was just the worst kid in the world. And that was confusing. Mm. What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to look like? What is the image I have to uphold? And I became very quickly the voice of my family. I've always been protective. Mm -hmm. That is one thing about me. It's just my instinct to fly in. If I see somebody getting hurt, I fly in. Mm -hmm. I won't do a lot for myself all the time, but I will fly in to cover the next person. And so I started being like the red flag at the bull every time that my mm -hmm. dad was just set off and just ready to just take him on. And he wasn't a small dude. <laughs> he was not by any means a small dude. He was a very wide, very strong Mm -hmm. And I just had no fear. And it was like, well, I started developing this mentality. Like, if I'm going to get in trouble, it's going to be worth it. If so I'm going to get beat anyways. Did you, I'm going to make it worth it. Are you saying you came to a point where you started to fight back? Yeah. I started okay. speaking up. I think the last time I was ever hit was my sophomore year. He was talking to my mom crazy. And I looked at him and I said, do you want to talk to her like she's your wife? Or do you want to keep talking to her like a child? He went back to hit me so dang hard in my face. And I turned to him and I said, it's common sense that a man your size could beat my ass. Right. 
So if it makes you feel like more of a man, here's the other side. And he never hit me again. He had realized, like, I had taken all the power. Mm. I took it. And it was like, you can't hurt me. You can't break me anymore. You can't do that anymore. And so all of this ongoing abuse just, it led to just so much confusion about who I am, how I was supposed to be treated, how I was supposed to be loved. And of course, when you grow up in domestic violence, you think that's normal. So then you subject yourself to domestic violence. And then it's, you know, when does the cycle break? We had, I survived Santana High School shooting 2001. And I remember coming home from that. I had never seen a dead body. And that was the first time I'd seen a dead body. So you actually saw saw it firsthand. I still remember it. I still just remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the entire day. And so just for anyone listening, wasn't that, was that the first school shooting like in our area? Like I remember it being a really big deal. I mean, obviously um, I they're all big deals. For the but... Santee, yes, every single one. It was right, it was the next one after Columbine, I believe. Yeah, exactly. One I think so. And how many then, people um, died? Two, two boys had oh died, Brian and Randy. And um, it just, I mean, that whole day, it was just such a process of like, what just happened? Right. And I'll never forget seeing, you know, his tennis shoes sticking out from under a white sheet. And that Mm -hmm. image is forever in my head. And um, I just remember coming home and my mom, of course, was there at the school. But my stepdad went, finished his day at work, went to the gym, worked out, came home like it was just any other day. Mm -hmm. And I remember crying, hysterically processing all of this. But my dad had made it like it was so like, this is normal. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at him in the question, like, you're fine, right? And I was like, oh, I guess I am. And it was always how things were treated where I started normalizing trauma. Mm-hmm. I started finding that trauma, this is just normal. I guess this is just life. Yeah. And then it mm-hmm. eventually blocked me where I didn't cry. I didn't like crying. I didn't mm-hmm. like any crying around me because it was like, you're fine. Get over it. You were you're conditioned. You should be good. Yeah. And I was conditioned to believe that this is just life. This is just what happens. And so it kind of started making me grow cold. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. It just turned my heart. But I would always have this, this inside of me, like, this can't be, Mm -hmm. this can't be what it's supposed to be like. This isn't what we're supposed to receive or be in this world. This can't be. And all of that conditioning was it took so many years to try to figure out how to break that conditioning, Mm -hmm. that there was more to me than that person that I was being created or told that I was supposed to be. And I got out of, from high school, I never had PTSD after that until I entered into, I was careless with my life. Mm -hmm. I was drinking and partying and just making awful decisions. And putting myself in really dangerous situations. And when you when you don't grow up thinking that you have self-worth, mm-hmm. you think, I deserve this. Whatever right. comes my way, I absolutely deserve it. I'm this mean, horrible person. I was told multiple times by my father that I had a black heart and that I would never be able to find or keep a man happy. 
Jeez. I would never be able to do that. So I started believing that that was true. And uh, I didn't look for the best men after. I could see the red flag a mile away, but I was running right towards it because I knew the red flag in a way that red flag was safety. It was, right. it was normal. Mm-hmm. So I already knew what to expect. And I ended up in a relationship and I absolutely forgive this guy. I've heard it and seen that he's turned his life around, which I'm so happy for him. But the dom- domestic violence just went from zero to 60 so fast. And within a matter of months, he had almost killed me. Oh my gosh. And I knew that the very last night that he had made a comment that I wasn't going to be saying anything else anymore. And I knew that the intent in strangulation was to kill me. Mm. And I just, I still remember that night seeing the blackest eyes I've ever seen in my life. I have never seen such cold black eyes. And I just remember everything going out. I was actually almost gone. Mm. And I heard in my head, I'm not done with you yet. And somehow he fell off of me. Wow. And he fell back because we were on the bed when he was strangling me. And he just fell back. And I got up and I remember, you know, just going to the bathroom. I could taste the blood. He had tore through the tissue of my throat. Oh my gosh. And I just remember, and I'm so, I'm, I can be so hard headed. I knew to say just enough that I was like holding myself together, but not wanting to push it. And I remember spitting at blood and he came over and rinsed the sink out. And he's like, you're fine. I said, I know I'm fine. I'm still standing. Wow. And it was just enough that it was like, I was going to say what I needed to say, but like, no, you didn't, you didn't break me. <laughs> like, I'm still standing here. Like, that's just always what it, always turn to every time somebody tried to defeat me like that like nope you're right I'm still standing do you feel like you almost like you said earlier it was like a comfort zone like you almost seek out these type of people and you almost get like a good feeling when you can face them and fight them and you know you're still standing yes it's so unhealthy it's so unhealthy it's absolutely unhealthy but absolutely yes that need to prove to myself that I was stronger than Mm -hmm. them and that no one could break me like that, that I was not going to let anybody break me. And I've always had that spirit since Mm -hmm. I was young, but it's right there. I'd never known what PTSD was. And then I had my very first episode of PTSD Mm -hmm. watching a a movie that had an abuse scene. Mm -hmm. I blacked out 100% blacked out was like, I was right back there. I didn't know what it was. It was like, what was that? You were back to the abusive like relationship or the stepdad? Actual incident. Yeah. Right there. Reliving it. So our brain stores that trauma in the back. And when you have PTSD, it will bring some of those visuals to the front and blind you. So it, it like replays like a movie. Wow. And it can just, it's blinding, like 100% blinding. And so I was sitting there reliving. I woke up when I was coming back, when I was snapping out of it. It was my family trying to say, Nicole, you're okay. You're here with us. Wow. And like, what just happened? And I was, I guess I was screaming. My hands were up in the air and I was like pushing. I was pushing back. That started to be where it was like, my sister was like, hey, you're going to watch this new movie that was released. It's not time for you to watch it yet. You know? And so it was like, I 
between shootings and, and all this stuff, I started kind of bringing myself in to like, I'll, I'm safe at home. Here's my mm. place. I'm safe. I'll, this is my safe space. And I started just running from everything. And I knew I needed help with that. Mm-hmm. I've always gotten help when I need help. It was my pregnancy with Arissa, my very, my first daughter that I remember going in there and they do like a postpartum screening. Mm-hmm. And the counselor started asking me questions. And uh, she's like, you know, tell me about your child. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you want a story? Here you go. Uh, you know, I always hate that like, question. I'm like, where yeah. do I start? Do you really want to know? Where do I start? And so it was like, okay, here you go. And I started talking. She's just staring at me. She goes, you know, Nicole, you know what, Nicole? What bothers me? She said, you know what? Often people have like one specific trauma. It's like mm-hmm. one thing, that, like, and, and it might be spread out. Right. But it's one subject. She's like, you have multiple, but she said, what bothers me is you're saying it like you just told me a story that you went walking through the woods or something like yeah, part. like nothing. She's like, you've normalized trauma so bad that you think it's normal. And she was very worried of what was going to happen to me when I had my baby. And I was like, why is she worried? I'm so ecstatic to be a mom. I've wanted to be a mom since I was a little girl. That's why I always took care of my family. It's just my mother instinct since I was little. And I had my first daughter and it was not what I thought. I was absolutely every bit of the PTSD, the trauma, everything was coming out. And I had postpartum depression with borderline psychosis. Mm. And I was so terrified. I thought I was going to have to take my own life to protect my baby because wow. I thought I was going to hurt. I thought I was going to hurt her. And I never knew moms went through this. I had no idea. I was just completely, I was scared to touch my baby. I was so scared. I used to judge those moms. Like, how could anybody ever hurt their baby? And I couldn't believe that it was a real thing that women actually go through with between postpartum depression and psychosis. And then I started like really started talking to my friends. I noticed that once I talked about it, it was like a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. And then when I started certain moms, not every mom has had psychosis. But I was finding, I was coming to find that a lot of moms did and never spoke about it, mm. never talked about it. Yeah. And I was sitting here thinking, how are we as moms suffering in this type of agony by ourselves? How are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And I went and I got myself help in counseling, but then I started talking about it. And that's when my life's very first started was because watching myself in a life was not just telling the next woman, but it was telling myself Mm -hmm. because I was looking back at me reaffirming for me that I was not crazy. It wasn't just me. There was other people suffering too silently. It's a relief for me to talk about. It's going to be a relief for another mother to talk about it too. Yes. And then nobody would like or comment on any of my lives, but I would get messages because people and their struggles very private. Mm -hmm. So then people started pouring out to me on my lives and saying, thank you for saying that. Thank you for making sure that I didn't feel like I was crazy and that you don't judge. There, I, I told people, there's nothing you couldn't tell me that I'll just be like, oh, you're, yeah. you're crazy. You know, like, I'm going to encourage you that you need to go get help. Right. And it started the whole journey of digging deep and looking at every single trauma that I've had to reflect on it and what was it making me mm-hmm. what was that making me what kind of person was that making me be from who I know that I am right and 
I started, I think I really started on accountability, that accountability part that while I was trying to tell everybody else what they were doing wrong, I knew that like, why was I doing that? I was doing it because I wanted them to be better. I wanted them to be the best version of themselves, but I didn't believe I deserved that. Yeah, you you were projecting, you, you were focusing on other people because it's easier, right? It's easier to focus yes. on other people and what they should be doing than how to do the work on ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just knew that I was, I've said to people, I grew up with like the prime example of a narcissist, what a narcissist mm-hmm. is accountability means there's no way I was around a narcissistic person that much of my childhood and did not take on any of those traits myself. Wow. I had to realize that I did take on those traits. That's some self-awareness. It was, it was different though. I had to go because as soon as I, I realized that accountability that, Oh my gosh, I have narcissistic traits, but then I had to, it kind of that acceptance made me kind of hate myself. Oh God, you're like your dad <laughs> and you're everything he said you're going to be, he, mm. you're, you're turning right into this person. And then it was like, oh gosh, now I'm going to go like self torment and mutilate myself because I hate myself. Wow. And then I realized, but what was the prime difference between me and my dad? His narcissism was self gain control. Mm-hmm. That's what it was all about. What was my reason for having these narcissistic traits and the way that I was coming off the true core intention. Yeah. Can I ask what those traits were? They were, I would see my family or somebody I would really love, like a good friend. And I've always been told you're very motherly. Like Mm -hmm. you're very, you want to mother. I've been called a mother hen since my sister was born. Mm -hmm. And they said, it's just that your delivery is really brutal. Okay. It was very cutthroat. It was very, I thought if I could break you to see how bad of a person you were being, how wrong the action of lying or betraying or anything, if I could make you see it, I would break you so that you would not want to be that person. Wow. So you were taking on the the role of God almost, (laughs) trying to. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I was. And I... That started tormenting me real bad because I would have this this ache in my stomach. Like, how can I have just said all that to them? How can I make them feel so horrible about themselves? And it, the delivery was just absolutely not acceptable. Yeah. And it would just come out of me like moment. It would just spew out. Like once I was pushed in that direction, it would just spew out of me. Hmm. And I couldn't control it, couldn't control truth. I couldn't control anything. And it was like, well, you brought that on yourself. Hmm. You wanted you wanted to, you know, tap the beast. Here it is. Yeah. And it was like, and then if you want to fight, I didn't care if somebody beat me to the ground. It was like, I'm either going to survive it or, you know, I'm dead. And then all my problems were gone. Mm-hmm. I'm dead. Then who cares? I had such a negative way of thinking, but all of the truest intention in my heart. And I just started really asking myself, like, I don't want to, I don't want to look like this person. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to change it? And the more I started speaking up, the more I started facing things, I'm very much the person who doesn't want to run. Mm-hmm. I want to take it on and face it. I want to be in it. I want to recondition my mind and I want to teach my mind that I am in control. 
I'm in control over me. And there was certain amounts of like control that I need to learn to let go of. And then there was like good control that it's like, I can control the things that I say, Mm -hmm. how I'm lashing out, recognizing triggers. Mm -hmm. That is hard. Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. To be that self-aware and go, what was it? What triggered me today? Yeah. Waking up from one horrible dream could set off the entire day. Yeah. And so what have you done? Like when you felt that trigger and you're aware of it, what do, what do you do now? I absolutely am more of like, Hey, I need everybody to step back. I'm so with my girls being six and eight years old, I have to tell them like, mommy's having a really hard moment. I absolutely need you guys to just kind of give mommy some space. And I, it's like that wanting to find a balance that it's like, how do I explain to a six and eight year old? Right. But, you know, give them the right to, to realize how smart they are, mm-hmm. you know, like not, don't take away any of their power from what they see. You know, if I want my girls to have an idea that they need to speak up on certain things, I can't, I can't mess with their mindset and confuse them. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is not, you know, that's just in your head or it's not that bad or it's not that hard. Right. That's um, so important. It's not a big deal. Letting them, them know that their feelings are relevant. Mm-hmm. How I'm making them feel is relevant. And my girls really were a big teaching point for that. I, it's so funny. Arissa is like, she's my, you know, not mini me in like a, how everybody's like, oh, my kid looks just like me. It was that it's so weird because when I look at her, she has my beauty mark here but it's literally in a mirrored image wow. so it's not on this if, like, if I'm looking at her it should be on the other side mm-hmm. and then she has this beauty mark on the opposite side so when I'm looking at her it's like a little mirror image and I was wondering what why what is the point of that what's the significance and my daughter has been such a like that little girl of me but I know that she is a risk she is a complete different being all on her right. own but it was meant as a reflection for me Absolutely. To see myself in her, in her innocence and the beauty mm-hmm. of her, of that innocence. And what is my responsibility in keeping that for her? Mm-hmm. That's a huge load yeah. to carry. Absolutely but- so huge. But the very first time I, I told her, I've had family members say, like, I think you let her be too outspoken. You know what? I remember somebody in my family when I was a little girl saying the same thing about me. I was too outspoken, too much, too much of an opinion. I was too much. I was way too much. And if something was wrong, I was like the first to call it out. Like, uh, that's not cool. You're not supposed to do that. And I've done that since I was a kid. I I just knew the differences of right and wrong. You don't lie. You don't steal. You don't hurt the people you love. You don't do those things. And it would just come out like, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. And so the very first time I was having a mommy meltdown, Mm-hmm. My PTSD was flared up that day. And I believe very much when I say my PTSD, I use it as awareness for myself, but it's never an excuse. Okay. It is not an excuse. And it should never be treated an excuse, even down to my children. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter, with all her little might, was standing there. And she took both of her fists and she had clenched them down at her sides. And she's like, she stomped her little foot and was like, it was so powerful because she was like, you're really hurting my heart right now. 
I just sat there. I sat there and I think what flashed in me more than anything is what my father would have done to me if I would have done that. Mm. Brings and I remember I, that's this is probably like seeing them more is more of an emotional thing for me mm-hmm. than anything I've ever endured. And it's because I just looked at her and I thought, you could do one or two things. You could strip this baby of her power mm-hmm. and her voice. Or you can get down on your knees and say thank you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just knew, I remember what it felt like to be that girl, to have that voice. I had that same voice and people tried to strip me up. Mm-hmm. People tried to take it away from me because I was speaking truth. Yeah. And I just went down to her, her eye level. And I said, I am so damn proud of you right now. <laughs> and it was just one of the big turning moments for me. She healed more in me in that little moment. And I just appreciated and respected her so dang much because just because I'm the adult does not mean I have power in an, in an abusive sense. Right. I should not think that I am the adult in that sense. We're a gift to one another. Her voice means something. Mm-hmm. And she does have a voice starting here and now. And I didn't like being stripped of my voice. I did not, I don't want to do that to my kids. Mm-hmm. She called out something that was wrong. Yeah. And I was wrong. And it's okay to say, you know, to set mommy boundaries is hard. Mm-hmm. That was a really big one. Like, hey, you know what? Sometimes you're pushing mom around. Sometimes you're abusing mommy too, you know? And so it's like, you're trying to manipulate things. That's a very, it's a sense that happens when we're young. Yeah. And to emotionally manipulate what we want. Kids do it every day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just teaching her, yeah, those moments aren't okay. Mm-hmm. But these moments, we're going to shuffle through those. But I, I want her to always say what's on her heart and her mind. Yeah. And so that really gave, started giving me some real accountability, self-awareness. What is triggering me? What's bothering me? The body scan is one of the things I loved the yes. most and learned. It was so helpful to just like, hey, sit down for a second. Start at your head. You know, what are you feeling? Do you have a headache? Do you have pressure? Do you have pressure in your your ears, your jaws, your jaw clenched? Is your tongue in the roof of your mouth? Are your shoulders up to your ears? And then just go down from there. Hmm. And one of my therapists was just like, you know, it's how you can make yourself present. Mm-hmm. Being present and saying that to myself over and over again was so huge. How am I going to be present? Great. How am I going to be in this moment and go, hey, Nicole, None of that stuff's going on. None of that stuff is happening. All those trauma things is not where you're at right now. Just scan the body and go from top to bottom and breathe. Realizing that the one thing that is a good control for us is our breathing. Yes. I rely on mine every day to calm me down and calm my nervous system. I do it before every call too, because I can feel my nerves and I'm one of those shoulder people. And that's why I love somatic so much because trauma lives in our body. And I mean, I'm reading the book right now, the body keeps score and it's truly amazing. I hope, I hope you read that if you haven't yet, because it's so good. And it, 
that's why you know breath work and really scanning my body too it, it's done so much for me internally i love that yeah that sounds really good because just as soon as you said that body keeps score it does it does it it carries it and it holds it in parts of the body you know finding out oh there's no cure for ptsd it takes a lot of work it's a lot of work and being aware of what's lingering in the back what have we stored i tell people all the time that it's like mental hoarding a lot of times like you'll you'll be trying to think of an actor or an actress and you're like, what's their name? Mm-hmm. And then you know what's going to happen. It's going to hit you out of nowhere a day later mm-hmm. or while you're sleeping. You're like, that's who it is. And now you got to call your friend you were having that conversation <laughs> with. So you're like, hey, now I know who I was talking about. And the thing is, is it's like, you don't, people don't realize that your brain is working on these problems constantly, just like that. So even though you're not thinking about it, your brain's still doing the work because mm-hmm. it wants to fix it. What happens is you have so much trauma, so many things that you have not confronted. So people are like, oh, I'll avoid it. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, your brain still, it's an amazing mechanism and it's still back there trying to do the work. Right. You've got an overload happening. You've got hoarding going on because you have not taken each subject and directly taking it on head on and confronted it and said, hey, what's going on here? How do mm-hmm. I really feel about this? Do I feel like I can say what this made me feel like. And when I started breaking those things down and trying to clear out the hoarding, it's what depression is. It goes on lockdown. It's too much happening. Body freezes up and depression can serve a good purpose because it's your body speaking. Mm, rest. People will say like, I'm depressed in a negative way, but it's like sometimes your depression is from this overload. And it's saying, I'm tired. I am so tired. And I realized that when I was saying depression or anxiety or PTSD, like my main, my brain's really doing a magnificent thing here. Mm-hmm. It's trying to heal, but I'm not going along with the program here. Wow. And I needed to start being, identifying it as a positive for myself. Mm-hmm. Am I really suffering if my body's trying to tell me the right things to do to heal itself? I'm not listening. When am I going to stop that trauma response of fight or flight, survival mode, staying busy, never allowing yourself to sit down, overloading yourself with people, places, and things? Mm-hmm. It was like, I got to start saying no to all this because I was always just running after the next person, but not taking on my problem. Yes. And it was like, when am I going to stop doing that? Because they're the answer to their own problem. Right. You, you can't heal I, them. You can't, no. or you can't fix them. You, you know, no. I was, I was trying to be a fixer for so many years as well. It's almost like you have to recover from that too. You know? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the people pleasing and the fixing is such a recovery process. Yeah. But the first time I started saying no, it was like, I had to tell myself like, your intention is to help them, but are you? Are you enabling them or are you empowering them? Right. And then I realized I was doing a lot of enabling and I wasn't letting that person see their own power. Mm-hmm. How powerful each of us are as human beings. We are so individually powerful. Yeah. We have the capability to change to change the manifestation that we put out, all of that energy, all that frequency. Absolutely. Of negative energy. And just when you say, the, oh, 
nothing's going right. Everything. I was like that. Mm-hmm. I was just constantly negative. And I was constantly, if anybody asked me, hey, Nicole, how are you doing? I was like, I'm tired. Was, and I was like, <laughs> why do you say that as soon as anybody? It was the truth. Yeah. But that type of negative tire was really bringing, I could feel it every time I yeah. said, it, said it. And it was like, I'm speaking that life over myself. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was in the same exact boat. I did the same thing. And my husband's like, I can't live in this negativity. Like it's like, (laughs) it's like a cloud that was hanging over me. Yes. And it does. It so does. And then it brings you down. It brings all your surrounding down Mm -hmm. and you don't even realize that everything you're speaking is just this negative and it's drawing in more negativity. It's going to be in like what, manifest that bad things are just going to keep happening because you know yeah. I keep willing them into existence exactly and if you, the more you say nothing's going right you are manifesting that nothing is going to go right yep we have bad moments mm-hmm. but I started learning how is every moment a teachable moment yeah what can how you is every from moment it? how's it trying to help us and you know what? There are struggles in this life. There's not a person I met who doesn't have a story, something they came from. And the majority of us, the core of it starts with our family. Yes. All of it. I want to highlight something you said, if I may. I love how you said mm-hmm. those times where you feel depressed and often it's just rest that you need. I can relate with that so much because, and same with my husband, we go through these seasons of depression both of us and we've never been diagnosed with clinical depression because we always seem to come out of it so we've been told it's like a a situational depression right but the way that you just worded it because we both have so much trauma and like you said our brains are trying to fix it like these we're go we're running through our life taking care of kids doing all the stuff and not dealing with our problems, not dealing with the trauma that's in there. And you just get to this burnout point and you're like at a wall and you're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And your body just like shuts down and your yeah. mind. And, and that's where that depression comes along. But in all actuality, if you were just caring for yourself, if I was just caring for myself the proper way and doing what I'm doing now, I haven't felt that depression in eight months. You know, like I literally have it. So I feel like that makes so much sense what you said. I love that you said that. And even for Henry, it makes, it makes sense. It does. Thank you for sharing. And it's, it's, and that's what I, I love about this, getting to share your story to empower the next person along with yourself. But when you have two people who are talking about the going forward, it's like things hit more light bulbs just come on and Mm -hmm. just like, we get that insight from one another that all of that trauma did not get to have the victory. Right. That mess that got turned into your message, it it really gets to have the triumph. Yes. And we get to do that together. You know, the more that we speak out and when I talk to other people and listening to you and your podcast, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to write that down. Like, <laughs> you know, and then put that out, you know, when you write something like that, it puts mm-hmm. it into existence. So your awareness is like on this higher level. Yep. I've that, done so much of that. Writing it yeah. down. I'm I'm huge on that too. I have like a notebook that I keep when I hear things on podcasts that I just I resonate with and I love and it put you know, clicks that light bulb on. I I totally resonate with that. And it's it's helpful you know, to 
connect with those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I always notice, you know, when I'm, I, I see both things in it. Every time I tell my story, I, I do, I, some, some part of you, like you tell your story and you're almost running out of fear because you're, you're reliving your story every Mm -hmm. time you tell it. Mm -hmm. But then it's like right after you can feel the healing that's coming from it because you're reflecting on it. Sometimes I even forget about that little girl and I really shouldn't forget about her, but I forget Mm -hmm. that it even happened to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh my gosh, I just like, I'm hearing myself say it, but I forgot that it was real. Like, this is what I, I've come this far that I forgot that. I feel the same. I have the chills. Like I literally feel the same exact way when sometimes when I'm telling my story, like I met with my therapist today and she started backtracking and I had to tell her things. And she was like, Oh my gosh, like I would never guess all of that happened to you. And I'm like, yeah, when I say it out loud to, and you're explaining it to someone like, you don't, I forget too. I'm like, wow, I really suffered so much and I've come so far. And yeah, it's, I totally understand that you, you forget how much and what it serves you a good, it serves you a good purpose. Yes. When you want to heal the ability to reflect, Mm -hmm. look how far you've come, look how far you've come. And the biggest part too, is that you get to say that you made the choice for something different. Because most people won't. There's so many who will use it as an excuse, Mm -hmm. stay there and repeat those cycles. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I had, I knew I was going to break that cycle from a young age. I knew it. And you're, you're just like me. (laughs) We we knew it. It's, it's amazing. And it's, I remember reading this meme that said, you're exactly what your ancestors have prayed for to be the one to break the cycles. There were people who just didn't know how. They really didn't know how. Right. And there was some of us that were born with fire in us to be like, Mm-mm, this has got to change. I'm rewriting our future. Yes. I am determined to not let this go on like mm-hmm. this and to learn the healthier ways to teach my kids, mm-hmm. you know, discipline and dedication and drive and no, it doesn't have to be beaten into you. It does mm-hmm. not have to be that. I had to really ask myself, I had always considered myself tough. Mm-hmm. I was a tough girl. And then I realized that tough and strong are just two different things. Tough hardens the heart. Strong is the ability to endure and overcome. Wow. And strength is so much more powerful than tough. I did not want to have that hardened heart anymore. I didn't want to be not letting in good mm-hmm. and receiving the own, the good parts of myself and the positive parts of myself, right. the things that my intuition, my intuition was speaking mm-hmm. and it was, my intuition was speaking so loud, but everything I was doing in action yep. didn't match. And I'm not completely, I, I still have a lot of work to do. Me too, I have girl. Good days, I have <laughs> bad days. Me too. And I tell my girls all the time, please forgive mommy. This is the first time I'm being a mommy. You're my first time. You're my first lesson. I love that. And knowing that I have to apologize, I was never apologized to as a kid. Mm-mm. And knowing that I have to apologize to my babies. They deserve it. They have I, to know that that action was wrong. I think that's so important for parents to do, to apologize to their kids when they mess up. Even this morning, yes. I got 
or yesterday morning, I got super frustrated getting the kids ready and I yelled like pretty loud. And after like five minutes, I calmed myself down, like in the car, I was like regulating my system. And then I looked at both of them at the stoplight and I was like, I'm really sorry I yelled at you guys. And my daughter said, it's okay. I get it. That's what she said. And I was like, thank you, Blue, for accepting my apology. And I always talk about the repair because like things are going to get messy sometimes. Like we're going to mess up. We're going to screw up, you know, and it's about that coming back together. And I mess up a lot with my kids, especially my daughter. She, she, it reminds me of my daughter when you talk about your daughter, because I feel like she's also a reflection of me. And this sometimes when I'm meditating and I'm visualizing my inner child and my higher self, like blue will come into the picture and I can see my daughter. And, and I just, I love, I think the point of it is to love my inner child. Like I love blue and you know what I mean? I love that. To take, to take care of my, yeah, to take care of my inner child. Like I would my daughter, you know, and love myself, how I would love her and talk to myself, how I would talk to her. Um, I feel like I, I just, I've had that connection, you know, and yeah, it's, it, there are little teachers. You're every, every child I've had has taught me something. And even, you know, the two that I didn't birth, they, they have been enormous teachers for me, obviously, but they're, they definitely all have something to, to offer us. And gosh, the parenting is hard. Like when oh. you're, when you have trauma and parenting's hard alone but when you have trauma and you're trying to heal yourself and you're raising children at the same time like I wish I would have done this stuff before I had kids you know but obviously we can't change timing but thank god I'm figuring it out right now and I I'm just going to say one more thing and I'll and I'll let you go but I had this as another moment of meditation and it was back when I was in a really really dark place and I wrote it down right after I have it in my notes on my phone. And it said, if you don't heal yourself, you're going to destroy your daughter. And it reminds me so much of what you've talked about today. Like we, they are us, you know, and, and we are teaching them how to be women and warriors and love themselves and be true to themselves. And if we're a hot mess, they're going to follow suit, you know, so it's our responsibility to heal ourselves so they don't have to endure the trauma that we did, you know? Absolutely. Cause I wouldn't want that for my babies. That's not what I want. They're going to go through hard things. They are. And I don't want to completely shield them from the things that are going to be teachable moments for them. But I, as parents, we are not supposed to be the ones causing the trauma. Yes. The world's already going to dish out more than enough. Mm-hmm. You want to prepare them for that, but you definitely don't want to be that trauma for them, you know, mm-hmm. and be recognizable. If, if you portray yourself the way that my dad was, was like portraying this like perfection, his word, everything was final say, and it was all right. Mm-hmm. And so I never got to question what he did was wrong. Right. And you introduce your kids by behavior of what they're supposed to accept in relationships, friendships marriage Mm -hmm. you're telling them what is acceptable right that they can't question and go well I think that's wrong but you're teaching them what normal is exactly and now the new thing that I've been aware on is a new just thing that started hitting me was like when you say you're sorry 
and you tell your friend, I'm sorry. And they say, oh, that's okay. I've been saying, no, if I'm saying I'm sorry about something, I don't just say I'm sorry, um, which means it's not okay. Right. I'd say the same thing, Nicole. I swear to, I tell my daughter the same thing. If someone, if I say I'm sorry, you don't have to say it's okay. Cause that's a people pleasing behavior. That's trying yes. to appease the situation, yes. make the conflict go away. So you don't have yeah. to address it. So I'm always, I'm trying to teach her for the past couple years or so. If someone tells you, you're sorry, you can say like, I accept your apology. Or you can even, yes. if, if you feel like, I accept your apology, but what you did really hurt me. You know, like, don't be afraid to express yourself how it made you feel. You can accept it if you're ready. I always say that too, because sometimes you're not ready, but that's so so important because so often we're like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, no, it's not okay. You actually really hurt me. It's not okay. (laughs) Yes. And now my daughter is seeing it. And so seeing that reflection of her saying it is like, I'm so glad that she's acknowledging and taking responsibility for wrongdoing. Yes. But also it's that's I'm teaching her boundaries. Yes, you are. And to not condition herself to be like, yeah, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. If I had to say, I'm sorry, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I love how you're saying like, I hadn't figured out like, what is the verbiage I'm missing here of like, mm-hmm. I accept your apology. You know why? Cause I wasn't taught that. Right. And so it's like, this is where, these conversations are amazing and mm-hmm. they take us to a whole different level because it's like, man, your verbiage is everything. The things you say is everything. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be speaking a manifestation, but you're also going to be aware of what yes. you're making acceptable for your life and the next person. Mm-hmm. And I, I want my friends to hold me accountable. If I said something that hurt them, like I want them to say, hey, Nicole, you know, you're kind of being a little harsh about that. Like mm-hmm. I get what you were saying, but it's okay to say that to me because I need correction. Otherwise I think I'm perfect. I love that. And I'm not okay with being perfect. I don't want to, because you know, it's a huge load to bear being perfect. Mm -hmm. And I already grew up like that. And I'm trying to change that, that I'm just not, I have hard days. I have bad days. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the house is a wreck because I get into that. Like I can't do anything. I just can't. All I can do is keep you kids alive today <laughs> and myself. Okay. Uh-huh. But that's about the extent of what I have. It's the capacity of what I have today. Yeah. And I think giving myself more grace instead of most of those voices come from your childhood. Right. It's not you speaking to you. It's the voice that was conditioned in you mm-hmm. to tell you every negative thing about yourself and all the overcorrecting. Yeah. Micromanaging. Instead of going, you know what? That was just stupid. <laughs> it uh-huh. just happened. How do I correct it? Yeah. For me, it's it's been a lot of letting go of like the invisible boxing gloves. Like you don't have to fight everyone. You don't have to protect yourself all the time. Yes. Like I'd, my husband would have to tell me all the time, we're on the same team. I'm not against you. And I would be like clenched up like in just yeah. my own stuff, you know? and have to let that wall down and realize like okay i can relax i'm safe and you think you're I'm, i've been in this marriage for so long you would think i felt safe right there's still days mm-hmm. in my in my mind where i'm like still that fight or flight mode that we talked about you know yes so it's 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 a process it's a journey and and just being aware of those moments now is the biggest thing. Like, okay, right now is that moment. I need to breathe and recognize that I am safe and, and he's not against me. He loves me. You know, yeah. those moments. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, I absolutely do. Because Tom's told me that too. Something we did was marriage counseling because mm-hmm. we needed it. And um, our marriage counselor, she said, you know, it's very hard for two people with trauma to make a marriage work. Oh my gosh. And That's a whole like, other conversation. Guys, oh, it is. And she was like, you guys trauma bonded. You bonded over your trauma. Yep. And then now when you guys try to deal with life, both of you just know that you're triggering each other and both of you got to fight back. Boom. Mic drop. And it was like, <laughs> it's so oh. true. Man, if there was anything oh that was the most profound thing that anybody had said about marriage, I was like, that was just it. And then it started making me look at him to go, is that what I'm doing to you in this moment? Because right. maybe like I need to chill. And we're still learning. We're yep. still learning. That's but true. it does, that whole thing you said, I'm in a safe place. It is so hard to recognize with a person mm-hmm. that you are, in fact, in a safe place. It's mentally exhausting to not feel safe. Right. It is mentally exhausting. One of the biggest things recently was my mom, and it was on a self-awareness thing. My mom was here when I was taking care of my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. I yelled at my poor mama about everything. I was already heightened and stressed from my grandfather. And... I was yelling at her, making her cry. And part of my counseling was the triggering trauma of family members. Mm. Even though the abuser's gone, I was always in survival mode. I was Mm. trained to live in survival mode. And so this identification of going, oh my gosh, whenever they're around me, my sense is heightened to protect them. But the beast is gone. Yes. Now I have nowhere to project it. So now I'm projecting it on you guys. The very ones that were the victims, that self-awareness was really hard for me to take. I cried with my mom. I I said it out loud. I just, and thankfully for me and my mom, we've been able to just go through this together. Mm -hmm. And I went from just like, how could I make my mother cry like that? How could I be so angry still? Sometimes Mm -hmm. that makes me mad. Like, just let it go. But your mind doesn't want to. Right. Because it hasn't fixed it. And it was just a really, this recent was just such an awareness of like, do you aware, are you aware you're safe when you're around your mom and your family? Mm-hmm. Are you aware he's not here? Mm. You don't have to protect anybody right now. Everybody's fine, actually. Exactly. And that was just, when you said it, it was like, man, that was just a recent record, like big, huge, like self-awareness thing of like, do you tell yourself you're safe? Do you make yourself aware that you are safe? Mm-hmm. And if you have lived in trauma response survival mode, you know how exhausting it is. You didn't do anything today, but you're so dang tired. Yep. You're just like, I didn't do nothing, but I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I really recognize that with my mom so I could start catching myself. So it's not fixed yet. Mm-hmm. So my mom came down the last time and she was like, I can see you catching yourself faster. <laughs> the fact that I recognized it. And now when anything's happening, I'm like, why, why do I feel shaky and unsafe right now? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Your body's reacting. Yeah. And it's like, now I'm reflecting and going, I don't want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to do that to my mama, my sister, my family. I don't want to do that. And I've got to make myself really aware that I am in a safe place with them. That monster's not here. You know where it starts? It starts in your body. That's, I've done so much training recently around, like we talked about earlier, your breath, be feeling safe inside and then externally. So this chair I'm sitting on 
or the walls around me. And then you can really like expand and then you find that peace inside yourself. And then it's like, you open your eyes and you're like, okay, like I'm in a safe place. I'm okay. Cause you're safe within you. And that was something I Oh learned my gosh, from, I love that. yeah, I learned that from another therapist I was seeing and cause I kept going on and on about how Henry made me feel safe. And she was like, have you ever thought of finding safety, safety in yourself? And I was like, no, Wow. like, what does that mean? And so she taught me these techniques of grounding in and really just trusting yourself and building that safety within you. Cause people like us that grow through so much trauma, it's very, it's rare to feel safe. So it's like something I really had to work on and it it's helped me tremendously. Now it's something I can go to anytime I have those moments of like, this is a triggering moment. I need to find safety within my body. Man, and everything you just said about finding safety within yourself, you know why the majority of us can't? It's because everything we ever had a feeling on was dismissed. We were taught to not trust yourself or you to be your own safe person. Yeah, exactly. And that is a really hard reality when you actually hear that and process that and go, I wasn't taught that I was Mm-hmm. safe place myself. Right. I was taught that I had to rely on my abuser. That was supposed to be at the same time he could be the scariest person to myself and everybody else. He was also our protector because Mm-hmm. Right. he never let anybody mess with us. He never let anything happen to us. But I didn't realize he was just always looking for a fight. That is such And... a dichotomy, like the way that that he's like both at the same time. So it's like, I can't even imagine the, the confusion and level of just not knowing how to act and just wanting to please, please him and, and how that carried out into your adult life. It's, it's truly a miracle that you have come this far, Nicole, you are I can't wait for people to hear this. I can't wait for people to be inspired by your story. I was not expecting to hear all of that. Honestly, I had no idea that you went through so much and you definitely have to come back on and be a reoccurring guest Yes. because we need to talk a lot more. I would love to like have a, an episode with Tom and Henry and talk about Oh, that should be amazing. marriages with when both people have trauma and like how that, how that works. You know what I mean? I feel like we could bounce off each other really well. And then parenting with trauma, you know, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. So I, we're going to close out here in a second, but if you can think of one last thing to leave
and I'm just feeling them be drawn. That's in. because we feel energy. your energy. We can feel, I can feel your energy through my phone. Like when I watch you <laughs> or when I read things that you post, cause it's so real. You're not putting anything extra on it. You're not trying to sound a certain way. You're just being you. And it's so authentic that people are just, they will gravitate towards it. That's exactly what I would have missed out on. Mm. And this type of beautiful connection just with you today, you know, there's just so much you said today that it's like, I'm, I can't wait to go over this and go through it and reflect on what we've talked about. Right. And so. it's like, I would have missed out on the gift of getting to heal. Mm. Yes. And all those times that if I look back and I would have taken my own life or I didn't make it because of a death situation, I would have died that broken hearted little girl mm -hmm. that never got to give herself that hug that love that embrace and today I get to look at that and go my story wasn't meant to be over it wasn't meant to be it's still not over and I have gotten the opportunity to come this far I have gotten the opportunity to try to right my wrongs mm -hmm. because I have done so much wrong and then I get to hug and embrace my family just a little bit tighter to realize the blessing that they are yes. today. And that your story is not over yet. You're not struggling alone. You know, I know that the mind can be a very tricky thing. You can play games, but it's not over. Right. No, it's not. And we are here. <laughs> Both of us. I know. Yes. I know. You're active on social media, and I know if someone's struggling, you are a great person to reach out to. So, oh my gosh, Nicole, that was so beautiful. I'm like, I, I'm buzzing right now. I can feel it. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing and being so incredibly vulnerable because it takes so much courage to talk about that. But like you said, every time we talk about it, we're healing. So yes. that's that's the beauty of this podcast and the beauty of guests like you that come on and, and share. So thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for letting me heal with you too. That's mm. where I say we're better together. We're That's better right. Together because it's like today you just get that little bit more of healing. Yeah. That you didn't know you needed. Yeah. And if you didn't talk about it and you never said anything, if you didn't decide to do this podcast, I would have missed out on another part of healing today. Yeah, me too. Every single time and I get on here, it's I learn something or like, especially this one, I'm just like, wow, I feel like I healed little pieces or understand things better. And just, yeah. it's beautiful to connect with someone too, who understands, honestly. Absolutely. And your yes for you. I'm so thankful for your yes. <laughs> I'm absolutely so thankful for your yes in this well, it's going to be a yes for a long time. So we'll be back on here together soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and tag me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at healinganddealing.podcast and by joining our Facebook group. Be sure to follow me for inspiration, tips, and exciting news about upcoming episodes. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, or have questions or comments about what you heard today, please email me at healinganddealing.podcast at gmail.com. Your support means the world to me. I'm so grateful to be sharing my voice and the voices of others with you. 
Now, let's keep healing and dealing. We'll see you in the next episode.